Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. We are going to be in several areas of Scripture. So I'm going to ask you to turn to James chapter 2, James chapter 2, as well as Mark chapter 2, James chapter 2, Mark chapter 2, and John chapter 15. Once again, let me say those areas of Scripture again. James chapter 2, Mark chapter 2, and John chapter 15. And so as you're turning there, um, let me say once again how great it is to be with you guys. So thankful for just how the Lord has continued to use South Bay in my heart and life um, in so many tremendous ways. Uh, I just even love coming here, seeing the staff, um, so many faithful friends over six years of now being in California, uh, all the way from Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. And so uh, it is just such a gift and a blessing to be with you. Once again, James 2, Mark 2, John 15. Why don't we go to the Lord and ask him to prepare our hearts so that we can hear the word of God. Lord, I am so thankful for your word. It leads, it directs, it guides. You're a faithful friend. There is no other friend like Jesus. That hymn of the church, what a friend we have in Jesus. I could almost end the sermon with that thought. And I pray tonight that as we see in Scripture the privilege and the opportunity we have to be the friend of God, that our lives would radically change tonight by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but um, on occasion, I like to name drop. You know, when you know someone famous, and you just happen to work it in conversation somehow, some way. One of my friends, um, he played in the NFL. Well, I'm not going to tell you who he is because I'm not a name dropper. Anyway, it may slip out here or there. I'm not sure. But I always like to just drop his name every once in a while when I'm speaking to football people. Well, I know. (laughs) You thought I would say his name. I'm not going to. Well, I I don't want to be called a name dropper. Well, I don't know if you know this about our family, but not only do we have nine children of our own, we fostered in the course of our marital life um, close to 20, 25 kids. And so we have um, a lot of children that uh, we would say and call as our own. And Well, two of them, well, their mother was very famous. In fact, she's still very famous, and we fostered them for four years. And, well, when I would be in conversation with people, I would say, well, do you know (laughs) those are her kids? 
Oh, you wish I would say the name, but I'm not a name dropper. I mean, I would not say her name publicly, but, you know, we did foster her children for four years. Now, there's something even maybe quite, uh, Chet, are you going to tell us the name? Well, I wonder if you've ever name dropped before. James chapter 2, let's see the ultimate name drop in James chapter 2, verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Now imagine Abraham is in a conversation with one of his earthly friends and he drops the name, I don't know if you know my friend, he's God. The ultimate friend to name drop. Abraham was known as the friend of God. What a reputation to be written before you for 2,000 years of church history to be read. Abraham was the friend of God. Now let's see why he was a friend. Look at the next verse. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Two very vital truths of our faith. That there are works of faith and faith itself. And so because of these works of faith, and because he believed in God, he was known as the friend of God. I wonder, church, I wonder if you would desire that for your reputation. And when your day comes... And everybody talks about you as they commemorate your life. I wonder if they will say, oh, Chet, he was God's friend. What a reputation that I not only believed God, but there was an evidence of my faith where I had works of faith because I believed in God. Oh, Chet was a friend of God. There's a story in the gospel that explains this truth so practically and so clearly on how we can gain this kind of reputation. Turn with me now to Mark's gospel, chapter 2. Mark's gospel, chapter 2. Let's see this reputation. And first, we have to understand our faith that Abraham had. Mark's chapter 2, would you look at verse 1 and again. He entered Capernaum at after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, and he preached the word to them. There are two vital truths about our faith found in these first two verses. We see it in the life of Abraham that he had faith and that he had works of faith. And we see the evidence of these two truths right in these first two verses. Take a look at the first one there in verse 1. And it was heard that Jesus was in the house. It was heard. You couldn't help but hear because of the works of faith of Jesus that when he came into town, Capernaum being his central headquarters, when he would come back in, oh, everyone heard that Jesus was in the house. They always knew when Jesus was around because they saw what Jesus could do. You see, 
one of the first truths of our faith is that faith without works is dead. That's what James, the half-brother of Jesus, would say of Jesus. Looking at the life of Jesus, growing up with Jesus, he saw the evidence of faith in Jesus where he was able to write, faith without works is dead. When Jesus came into town, you would hear that Jesus was there. Gang, I wonder if people at your workplace knows that Jesus is in your house. If Christ, if your heart is Christ's home, I wonder if they hear, if they see, if faith is evident in your life. I wonder if Christ, if your heart is Christ's home, when you walk into your house, when you walk into your work, when you go to your place to hang out, do people hear Jesus is in this place? Maybe they would see it in your character. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, you'll know a child of God. They'll practice righteousness and they will love people. You'll know a child of God. You'll know the character of a child of God. You'll know that Jesus is in the house if they practice righteousness and they love people. You'll know that Jesus is in the house. You'll know that Jesus is in your house if people see love and joy and peace and long-suffering and goodness, and kindness, and faithfulness, and self-control. They'll know Jesus in the house. They'll only just look and see and hear of the faith that you have. They'll know that Jesus is in the house. If they look at a servant of God, and they see that this servant trusts the Lord with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength, That love is without hypocrisy. That you abhor what is evil. You rejoice with those who rejoice. You mourn with those who mourn. You see, I wonder if when people see your life, do they know Jesus in your house? Faith without works is dead. But you see something else in verse 2. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. Take a look, underline this maybe in your Bible, and he preached the word to them. You see, the other incredible truth about our faith, if faith is faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Jesus was pouring faith into them. He preached the word of God to them. And let me tell you something about a believer and a believer's faith. It's what you're doing here tonight. Believers long to hear the words of Jesus. And believers gather from around the world on Sundays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and all throughout the week in Bible studies. They long to hear the words of Jesus. And just like this scene in Capernaum, they all gathered in the house like you've gathered at Calvary Chapel South Bay because you hunger and thirst for righteousness. And you know there's a blessing on your life? And you know how Jesus described this hunger and thirst? He said in John chapter 6, something so powerful, he said this, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And the Jews listened to him and said, what are you talking about? You want us to be cannibals? He said, no. The words that I speak to you are spirit. They're life. 
He wasn't actually saying, I want you to eat my flesh and drink my blood physically. No, these are spiritual terms where he's saying, I want you to crave for me like you crave for water. And I want you to hunger for me like you hunger for bread. I want you to hunger and thirst for faith. So they all gathered in the house. They wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. Let me tell you why. Because they saw something different in his life. Not only did he preach to them, he practiced what he preached. When Jesus talked about going the second mile, he would do it. When he talked about turn the other cheek, he would live it. And as they watched his life of faith, they wanted to learn from the man who not just preached faith, but he practiced faith. And when they would listen to his words, and he would speak about an abundant life, And they would put his words into practice when he would teach them how to pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He would go on to say, Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Well, I thought I would be empowered by bitterness and anger and frustration, but when I forgave the person, my life was changed. I was no longer bound by bitterness. I was set free. I heard that from Jesus. Oh, and the other day, this Roman soldier, he forced me to go one mile. And I looked at him and I said, you know what? I'll go two miles with you. And the Roman soldier looked at me and said, wow, you're different. And I thought, oh my goodness, I learned that from Jesus. They grasped the abundant life. And so can you as you put your words into into practice, his words into practice. But I believe they experienced a peace that can only come from the spirit of the living God. Like the woman who was thrown at Jesus' feet and he said to her, you're forgiven. Now go in peace. Can you imagine what she felt? Never having peace in her life before and Jesus would speak to her, you can have peace. Think of when the Spirit of God came inside of her. Oh, our faith that comes by hearing and hearing of the Word of God. And What Mark is going to do now, he's going to show the evidence of what happens to faith when we listen to Jesus preach to us, when we hear the Word of God in our own heart and life. Would you take a look at verse Verse uh, 3, we're going to see an illustration of the kind of faith that I'm talking about, that faith without works is dead, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing of the word of God. Take a look at verse 3, then they came to him. Oh, what an incredible intro. Then they came to him. Well, who are they? We're going to see an illustration of four incredible faith-filled friends. Four friends that knew Jesus was in the house. Four friends that knew, if I've got a problem, I know I can go to Jesus. Think about your workplace. When they hear that, that when they find out that they got a problem, do they know that you are someone for them to run to, to pray? Well, their friend is in trouble. And they knew exactly where to take them somewhere along the line. They heard Jesus preach to them. And they knew that Jesus was the answer. They came to him, take a look, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. You know what's amazing about these four men? We don't know their names. But let me tell you something. If I did, 
I would name drop them if I knew them. Because these guys are going to show us what faithful friendship is all about to Jesus. These guys are going to show us what faithful friendship is to people that are in the world, stuck in their sin. We don't know their names, but let me tell you something. We know their hearts. They had a friend who had a need, a spiritual need and a physical need, and they knew exactly who to take their friend to. They carried their friend to Jesus. Take a look what happens in Mark chapter 2, verse 4. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. These are faithful friends. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, stop. I know you want to read it. Stay with me. Did you hear what just happened? When Jesus saw their faith, somewhere along the line, their lives were changed. We don't know, and Mark doesn't tell us when they heard Jesus, but Somewhere along the line, they heard Jesus and they knew where he was. Jesus imparted faith to them. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And we know that they were filled with faith because we see it in the evidence of their works. They carried their friend to Jesus. We see the two virtues of our faith happening in these two guys. They heard Jesus But they didn't just listen to Jesus, sit in the pew and leave and go and live their life. No, no, no. They did something about what they heard. Because faith is not only about hearing. Faith is about doing. James would make it very clear. Faith without works is dead. Abraham would show us that he believed, but he also put his belief into practice. It wasn't just about sitting and knowing and understanding. No, leave that for the theologians. Understand it's about knowing and putting what we know into practice. You might say, well, I've only been a Christian for a year. Let me tell you something. Our drummer three years ago didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And I knew that. There were people in our church that left our church because I was letting someone who didn't believe play drums at our church. And you may disagree for a moment, but stick with me before you walk out. We were using drums as a fishing net. And every time he would show up on Sunday, we were giving him the gospel. We were loving on him. And we were giving him the gospel. And I was standing in front of church and I said out loud, now if you want to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, raise your hand. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at the crowd and the entire church has raised their hand and they're doing this. And I'm like, my goodness, the whole church got saved today. (laughs) And they said, they're like, no, turn around, turn around. And there he was, the drummer. He had stood up, lifted his hands, and said, I want to know Jesus in front of the entire church. Now, let me tell you what happened to that kid. First of all, I called everybody that left the church and said, (laughs) anyway, I won't tell you what I said. I looked at him last year 
after watching his life, and I said, you're a theologian. You need to go back to school, and you need to get your Bible degree, and you need to teach others because the way that you think is a gift. You know what he did? The next day, he applied to Biola, got accepted that week, and now he's a student for Bible studies in, at Biola. Let me tell you, he believed and he did something with his faith. And let me say, when you see this kid play drums today, when we worship, I was a lifeguard for years, so I watch you during the service. It just is in me. I just kind of like do this. And I don't know why I do, and I'm sorry that I'm staring at you. So what I've had to do to get over this practice, I just stare at our drummer. And when he is playing, I, it's almost like he's lifted up into the third heavens. You can't help but see faith pouring out of this guy. Well, I wonder what did Jesus see when he looked at these four faithful friends? Well, you're going to see it on the screen, and maybe you want to write down a couple of these. I believe he saw their determination to get their friend to Jesus. What a faithful step. I don't care what it takes. I don't care if they mock me. I don't care if they laugh at me. I don't care if they call me a borny. That's what they used to call me when I worked in the world. They call me a borny, okay? That was my name. It was on my locker, borny. I was known as born-againer, and so they shortened it to borny, and I loved it. Here comes borny. Get rid of all of everything that you've got because borny's walking in. Listen, I didn't care. Because I wanted all of them to come to Jesus. And my heart and my passion when I was working in the world was that everyone that I came into contact with would come to Christ. Listen, their determination. I don't care what it takes. I'm going to get my friend to Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to do over the course of these four principles. I want you to think of your unsaved family member. And I want you to think of your unsaved friend. And I want you to evaluate as you see what Jesus saw in these four faithful things, I want you to evaluate, do I have this kind of passion for the person that I know that doesn't know Jesus? And let me tell you about them. They were determined to get their friend to Jesus at all costs. Secondly, you'll see it on the screen. They had a desire to carry his burden. Listen, you can't get to Jesus. I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to take you to Jesus. I'm going to drag you to church because I need you to hear the gospel. It's Father's Day on Sunday. Tell your children, the only thing I want is for you to come to church. That's it. That's it. That's all you want me to do. Yeah, and I'm dragging you into church. Listen, they carried his burden, not because they had to, because they wanted to. I asked someone uh, just a few weeks ago, when's the last time you shared the gospel? Well, I'm not an evangelist. Okay. I don't have that gift. Neither do I. But the Bible says, do the work of an evangelist. Jesus, our commander, said, go and preach the gospel. It's not like an option when your commander says to do something. And these friends, they didn't have to tell their, take their friend to Jesus. They desired, they wanted to do it. And whether you're a gifted evangelist or not, there's not an excuse whether you've got the gift or not to preach the gospel. There should be a passion in you because you're going to heaven. And there's people that are going to hell all around you. A passion. Number three, look at these faithful friends. Their desperation 
to unashamedly persist in the plan. They got to the door. We can't get in. Uh, The steps to the roof. They climb up those steps. Now just imagine how they had to climb him up those steps. Don't think they did him like this and at an angle all the way up. No, the guys on the top step, they had to carry like this. The guys on the bottom steps had to carry like this. And they leveled him flat as they walked up those steps. They get him up there, lay him down, and then they start peeling away the roof. And dirt and tiles and things are falling right into the center of the room. They didn't give themselves an excuse. We're getting our friend to Jesus. Have you ever had the Holy Spirit knock on your heart? I have. Holy Spirit knocks on your heart. Tell him about Jesus. <laughs> well, I'm kind of tired, Jesus, and i got to get home. I want you to go back in the store, and I want you to tell that guy about Jesus. Ever, ever happened to you? Ever happened? And no one wants to raise their hand. I'm the only one where the Spirit has spoken to you, spoken to me. You guys, oh, I'm sorry, Calvary South Bay. You guys are so holy. Right? Okay, no, listen. Has the Spirit ever spoke to you, and you didn't do it? Anyone else besides me? Okay, thank you. Make me feel a little welcome, okay? So here's the deal. I'm sitting there, tell him about Jesus. Something happens to me where my throat just kind of closed right up. And I'm in like, like, let me get it out. And I'm like, spirit, this is your fault. If you want me to do something, you got to help me speak. And then it just flows. You see, he wasn't ashamed. Do you know what Paul said to the Roman church? Where the seat of power and conquer was Rome? That's what Paul said. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power. I know Rome thinks it's powerful, but let me tell you about the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God. Look at their desperation to unashamedly preach the gospel, number four. Their dependence on Jesus to heal. They believed, if I get my friend to Jesus, he'll heal him. Going on in Scripture, take a look what he says. Mark chapter 2. Son, your sins are forgiven. We have seen these faithful friends. We understand that our faith is hearing the word and putting it into practice. Now let's see our faithful Savior. Son, your sins are forgiven. If Scripture could whisper, if Scripture could whisper, I know you would hear Scripture say, the friends talking amongst themselves, I knew it. I knew it. I knew that Jesus wouldn't reject him because of his sin. I knew that Jesus would accept him by his grace. We knew it. You see, this man was in sin. Scripture doesn't tell us what sin he was in. Scripture hides and covers over his sin, just like he hides and covers over our sin. Can you imagine if every time you walked in the church, the Holy Spirit put your sin on the big screen? Up, jet, boom. Oh, Sarah, wow. And we're all just sitting there. Ooh, Susie walked in, big problem. I mean, just imagine... If your sin was on the big screen, how thankful are you that the Holy Spirit doesn't expose you to the world? We don't know what sin this man was in, but his friends knew Jesus would receive him. His friends knew that Jesus wouldn't reject him. 
Because Jesus is a faithful friend to sinners. And you notice what Mark leaves out? And Jesus got really mad that he interrupted his speech to these people. Because it didn't happen. Jesus is not disturbed. Jesus is not disrupted by the interruption of the sinner. Because Jesus would tell a story that he leaves the 99 to go and get the one. Because there was something in the heart of Jesus that loved to see his father rejoice. And Jesus said, there's more joy in the presence of the angels when one sinner repents. And you know who's in the presence of the angels? God. And he wanted his father to rejoice in a son that would come home. And so Jesus is not disturbed. Jesus is not disrupted. He knows the plight of a sinner. Gang, listen. If you get diagnosed with a terminal disease, does a new suit make you feel better? I mean, does a Rolex actually make you feel like a million dollars? And if someone gives you a new house, would you go, oh, that's so great. I no longer feel bad about being told I'm going to die in four months. You see, Jesus knows the plight of the sinner. And he knows that when you're terminal, the only thing that will make you feel at peace is a cure. And Jesus has the cure for sin. Amen? 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 Let me tell you about a condemned man. Charles Spurgeon tells the story. It's a condemned man, and he knows he's going to be hung in England. And when you walk into that condemned man, he don't care about his last meal. He don't care about his last wish. All he wants is a pardon from the governor. And Jesus knows that every sinner needs a pardon. And he knows that when you walk into a condemned person's jail cell and you say you are pardoned, there's no greater peace than when you're pardoned by Jesus. And so he said to this man, your sins are forgiven. Can I tell you something? You're the only one disturbed and disrupted by your sin, not Jesus. He's a friend of sinners. He said, come to me, all you who are weary, all of you who are deep in sin, come to me and I will give you rest. These friends were just being obedient to the command of Jesus. These friends knew that Jesus could answer their problem. And sinner, let me tell you something. He's saying the same thing to you tonight. What sin would go up on the big screen of your life right now? Now, you know what's happening? This whole side, when I looked at you, you went like this. Like, I, I'm not... Okay, let me look over here, okay? Now no, no, you guys did it. No, no, no. What sin would post up there? I want you to hear this to that sin. Come to me. Listen to Jesus say to the sinner, I will give you rest. And you know what he called this young man? And we know he was a young man because of the word that he used. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. Can I mention something to you that we see in scripture? 
It was friends that brought this young man to Jesus, not his family. It was his friends. We don't know where his family is. And we don't know if his sin caused some kind of separation from his family. What we know, his family is not present. It was his friends that brought him. And maybe quite possibly Jesus knew exactly what to say to this young man when he called him son. Son. You see, what Jesus saw in this young man that was being lowered, literally risking his life, coming down from the ceiling, he saw a childlike faith. And you remember what Jesus said, listen, if you want to come to me, come to me like a child. Believe like a child. Come running to me. And when he saw this young man coming down from the, from the ceiling, he said, I see a childlike faith. This is a son And I know you're ostracized because of your sin. And I know that you're left alone and crippled and you're not able to move forward because of your sin. And I know with the struggles that you're going through because of your sin, but I want you to know today, son, I accept you into the family of God. And I don't know who's in this room that needs to be lowered to the ceiling, from the ceiling straight to the foot of Jesus But I can guarantee one thing, though I don't know who you are, I know that when you get to the feet of Jesus, he'll accept you, he will not reject you. I know when you get to Jesus, he will pour out his hands and he will call you son or he will call you daughter. But let me tell you what the enemy is convincing you of right now. Take a look at Mark chapter 2 verse 6. He says this, And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Can you imagine if I did an altar call? And as people are coming down weeping, giving their lives to Jesus, someone's sitting in the back going, I don't like as much as he walked around on the stage. When is Pastor Jeff coming back? (laughs) I mean, how long do I have to sit here for another hour? That's an indication I may go long. Now listen, understand. Can you imagine as people are coming down the aisle and they're getting saved, you're sitting there. Now I know none of you here at Calvary Chapel South Bay would do this, but you're going, I didn't like his shirt. I mean, what's he trying to do? Like the 1960 Chuck Smith thing? I mean, come on. And those shoes. I mean, come on, Sperry's. That's like so old. Put some flip-flops on or something, Chad. Imagine people are getting saved and you're stuck because sometimes a little water comes out of my mouth. You notice no one sits in the front row when I teach. And there they are. This man is coming to Jesus. His life is being radically changed. And they're reasoning. They're not rejoicing. They're reasoning. Let me tell you what this word means. To settle an account. You see, what's happening here is they're struggling to reconcile what Jesus has just said. Because let me tell you their reality. If they sinned, oh, find a lamb. Go get it inspected. Take it to the priest. Slaughter it. Blood gets everywhere. And then... You're atoned. You don't ever hear you're forgiven. Who's this guy? 
Get a lamb, man. Go to the temple. Do your business there. What are you talking? Your sins are forgiven. Do you know what we have to do? Not recognizing that they're looking at the Lamb of God, whereby Paul would be able to say, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's not of works. It's a gift of God. Church, Jesus did all of the hard work so that you could be accepted by God. Don't allow the enemy to do anything other than get you to Jesus. If you have sinned, it's your opportunity to get to Christ because the enemy's working. Here, listen to these guys. Why does this man speak blasphemies? The enemy's always working to keep people in sin. He's whispering into these scribes going, who does this guy think he's in? Who who does he think he is? And here is Jesus setting this guy free. And the enemy is on overtime to keep this man stuck in sin like he may be doing for you tonight. Because let me tell you what he whispers. You've gone too far. Even Jesus won't forgive you. Let me tell you what he whispers. You've done way too much. Jesus can't forgive you. Let me tell you what the enemy whispers. You got no more chances, man. He's a condemner. But there's a truth that these people say because the enemy knows it's true. Listen to what they say. Who can forgive sins but God alone? The enemy knows the truth. God alone can forgive sins. And church, that's a truth for us to hold on to. And look what Jesus does. But immediately in verse 8, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your heart? Stop there, he perceived. He knew fully what was going on in the spirit. Church, can I tell you something? He knows right where you're at. He knows if you're on a high mountain. He knows if you're in a low valley. There is no place that you can hide from your spirit. And if the enemy has convinced you that you're the only one that can get away with your sin, he's a liar. Be sure it's going to be found out. And what Jesus is pointing sin out for is not like a vicious enemy saying, Oh, I caught you. No, he's a loving savior. He's pointing sin out. Because he wants to forgive you. He wants to win them over. And he says to them, why do you reason about these things in your heart? He's pointing it out. Now, church, if any of you are convicted right now, and you alone are looking at the sin, your sin on your screen, the Lord Jesus is not convicting you because he's a vicious enemy. The Lord Jesus is convicting you because he's a loving Savior. And what I want you to feel with that conviction is what I want you to see. Is the hands of Jesus reaching out to you and in those hands are nail scars. He died to forgive you. He did the hard work so that you could come to him. See, the Spirit knows what you're struggling with. Just like Jesus knew what they were struggling with. And he says to them, 
In verse 9, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? He knew their struggle. They're thinking to themselves, anyone can say you're forgiven. I mean, who knows if they're forgiven or not? They know God alone can forgive, but they don't believe that Jesus is God. And Jesus wanted them to believe. So he says this in verse 10, but that you may know, I want you to know, I love you but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, that you may know, he says. I want you to know I've got the right. I want you to know I've got the power. And I want you to know, church, I have the authority to forgive sin. You've just got to come to me. He wanted them to know I'm the Son of Man. I'm the Messiah. I've died for your sins. I rose from the grave. I paid the price of your sin. You can be pardoned. You don't need to be condemned. You can be cured. You don't need to be terminal. I'm the son of man. I want you to know that. So he says to the paralytic, and this is where we close, we have seen Two virtues of our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. We have seen that faith without works is dead. Two virtues of our faith. We've seen it illustrated in the life of these faithful, four faithful friends. And now we see a faithful Savior that's beckoning you to come. So my question as we close is this. If Abraham was known as the friend of God and you desire that reputation, what kind of friend are you? A one-sided friendship ain't a great friendship. Outside of my wife, who is my dearest and bestest friend, can you imagine if I did all the talking, and she ignored me? I texted her, and she never responded? Can you imagine? I came home, and she made the mess and expected me to clean it all up all the time? That's not a hint. She's sitting right here. (laughs) She was up with me last night till after 2 o'clock cleaning her house. No, she's my faithful friend. Sitting next to her is my best friend. Can you imagine if Zach never responded to me? Can you imagine if I was the only one ever trying to reach out? It wouldn't be a friendship. You see, God has shown as a faithful Savior, I'm your friend. And the question comes to the church, what kind of friend are we? Now listen, he says to the paralytic, and I need to remind you of something about the paralytic at this point. He's a believer. Son, your sins are forgiven. He's a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's speaking to the believer. He's speaking to the church. And I want you to see what he says. I say to you. You'll see it on the screen. Jesus wants to speak to you tonight. He's a personal God. And tonight he wants you to hear. He's a faithful Savior. I say to you, 
You see, every time we open this book, I'm not reading a book. I'm just expressing the word of God. You're having a conversation. You're not reading. God is speaking from his word. And he wants to speak to you each and every day. Jesus says to the church, I say to you, he's a personal God and wants to have a personal conversation with you. He says, I say to you. Then he said to the paralytic, arise. He says, I'm a faithful savior. And if you come to me and you confess your sin, I'm going to be faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. But then he says, arise. And Paul describes it so good in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Because of Christ, we need to walk in the newness of life. He says, put off the old man and put on the new. When Jesus says to the sinner who has come to be saved or sanctified, he says, arise, now it's time, put that sin away, and I want you to walk. I want you to arise and walk in the newness of life. Say goodbye to that sin and hello to the abundant life that I offer. Arise. Church, he says, I say to you, arise. Look what he says, take up your bed. There's some truth about your sin. It is part of your history. You can't change it. Okay, Chet, you were having a great message until that point. It's true, isn't it? Can any of us change our history? The only thing that we can do with our history is redeem it. And Paul would tell the church, the days are evil. You have an evil history. The days are evil. Redeem the time. The only thing we can do with our history is give it to Jesus and let him redeem it. And let me tell you what happens when he redeems it. When Paul was writing young Timothy, he said this, I'm the worst of sinners. And all his history did was cause him to focus on the great grace of God. My dad used to sing a song and he couldn't sing a tune, but with loud as he possibly could when he was alive, oh, the wonderful matchless grace of Jesus, deeper than the mighty rolling sea. He would sing it loud and he would sing it clear because my father knew a truth. I'm the worst of sinners and I can't change my history, but Christ has redeemed it and I focus on his grace. Church, amen. Amen. Take up your bed. That man could never get rid of his history and it was a constant reminder to him of the great grace of God. He said, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and the last thing he says to him is, go to your house. I want you to go to your house and let everybody know Jesus is in your house. Be a witness for me. Go into the world and let everybody know once you were lame, but now you are walking in the newness of life. And when you go to work tomorrow, something's different about Paul. He's not cursing anymore. Something's different about... I'm trying to think of names because I'm afraid I'm saying someone's name. Uh Uh-uh. Chet, I, I mean, he's not mean anymore. Something's changed about Pam. She's not afraid anymore. 
You see, Jesus tells the man, go to your house. I want you to be a witness for me of the power of the Spirit moving in your life. Church, be a witness. Now it's your choice. This man had a choice. He could have stayed laying down and not done a thing. I've heard some theologians say he felt a tingle. He felt like a love tingle. Listen to a pastor preach this uh, as I was preparing, and he had a love tingle in his legs. I don't know what a love tingle is, but that wouldn't be faith to me. Faith is the substance of things not seen or felt. I don't think he felt a thing. I think he simply responded to the word of God, and it was his choice. And this man, I want you to see what he did in verse 12, immediately circle that word. He arose, took up the bed, went out in the presence of them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Church, look how he responds. He responds immediately and he responds obediently. Here is Jesus proving I'm the friend of sinners. All you have to do is come to me. How will you respond? We close in John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Jesus is speaking to his disciples in verse 14, and he says this. You are my friends. John 15, 14. You are my friends if you do Whatever I command you. Now you may read that verse and just imagine if Andrea said, Chet, I will be your friend if you do whatever I tell you to do. Excuse me? (laughs) We have a submission problem. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Can you imagine if Zach came to me and goes, Chet, I will be your friend as long as you do whatever I tell you to do. You might read that and go, well, what kind of friend is that? He's a faithful friend. Because everything he asks you to do is to lead you to abundant life and eternal life. He can confidently say as God, show your faith in friendship with me by doing whatever I ask you to do. Let me tell you, you'll be the wisest person in the world to do it. Not just to hear tonight but to do. I want this reputation. I want my wife to be able to say, Chet was a friend of God. Church, I want that for you. And I don't know who's in this room that's struggling with sin. But the faithful Savior says to you, come to me. Let's pray. Our Father, I've got to believe in a room this size with this many people. There's a man or a woman that needs to be brought to 
to you, crippled with sin. And their desire is to get to you. And I pray tonight that I've been a faithful friend to lead them to you. Because I know you're a faithful Savior. Lord, like this young man, you didn't expose him. So I don't want to expose them, raise their hand, or look at me. You know who they are. I just want to pray for them. And I ask, as they are coming to you now, confessing their sin, would you remind them how faithful and just you are to forgive them and to cleanse them from all unrighteousness? I pray that they would hear the words, Son or daughter, your sins are forgiven. And like the terminal person that's been cured or the condemned person that's been pardoned, I pray the peace of God would come upon them now like never known before. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Now you have a choice. You have a choice. This man immediately and obediently did what Jesus asked him to do. I say to you, arise. Take up your bed and go to your house. Church, let that be the direction to Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.